Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Sorry, my voice is a bit raspy, everyone fighting a toddler cold here. But (laughs) thank you for joining us on Women in B2B Marketing. Appreciate it as always. Today, we have another very special guest, the one, the only, Lachey Lewis. She is SaaS growth advisor to many companies now and content strategist. And now she has her own content consultancy, Authority Plug. So for anybody interested, reach out, LinkedIn, check it out. But Lachey, thank you so much for joining us today. Jane, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to do this with you today. Yay, let's dive in. We're going to get into all things content marketing, content strategy. If you don't follow Lachey yet on LinkedIn, I definitely recommend doing so. So many content tips I've learned personally already. And we're going to dive into a little bit behind the scenes as well in her career and how she got to where she is today. So excited to dive in. Lachey. How did you first get into B2B marketing and the world of content? How did you come here? Yeah, so we can take it all the way back to when I was 16. So yeah, when I was 16, I started building these small affiliate websites, really Amazon websites. All my affiliate marketers know that back in the day, we used to take these properties and build them. And we would only maybe get like two to 3% commission on these sales, but Yeah, that's where I first got my start in content and just understanding how to set up a website and just the psychology of selling and marketing. Yeah. So it started back then and then transcending into my 20s is when I started working for content marketing agencies. And then I started going in-house a little bit. So quite a few different things that I was able to do and a lot of experience I was able to gain. Fun fact, I used to actually hate SaaS. (laughs) I used to hate it. I used to be in e-commerce. Yeah. The thing is, e-commerce to me was like so much more straightforward. It's like if you're selling a lotion, that lotion probably only does a couple things. You don't have to get too nuanced with lotion. Yeah. Yeah. The D2C market, very straightforward. B2B SaaS, not so much, right? Like it's very nuanced. And especially when you start dealing with like enterprise SaaS level stuff, it's very nuanced. And I wasn't up for the challenge. I was just like, I don't want to do this. It's, yeah, it's too <laughs> Come to find out, I actually wound up loving SaaS and the e-com background played a big role into how I actually craft my content. Ooh. Pretty different than a lot of other marketers. Um, not to toot my own horn or anything, but just, you know, yeah, trying yeah. to give a listen here. B2B does not have to be boring. You can make it entertaining. And again, a lot of that is just experience coming from e-com, just having to be fun and a little bit creative about things versus boring B2B where it's like, you know, if you throw some flavor in there, you can get a lot of great results. Yeah, that's so true. Do you still do any kind of content consulting for D2C and B2C brands or stick to mostly B2B now? That's a great question. I don't do it for e-com anymore, but I will do it for B2C SaaS for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have a B2C SaaS client right now that I wasn't expecting to take on because I kind of market myself as a B2B, but I'm like, yeah. to me, it's different, but it's the same. It's like with B2B, it is a little bit more nuanced than B2C. 
But to me, it's really the basis of it is just attaching features to pain points. If we want to look at this at like a high level, you can do that to both B2C and B2B. Mm-hmm. Ooh, which brings me, I think something I saw you share on LinkedIn, the tofu, mofu, bofu content mapping, right? And yeah. how do you have to strategically have different content for each? So the feature mapping, right? That yes. would be more in the bofu, I imagine. Can you kind of yes. break this down a little bit more for us? Absolutely. So top of funnel is more high level. You're talking to people that don't necessarily understand if they have a problem yet. They don't know how to put a name to that problem. Move down the funnel a little bit to middle funnel. The person is becoming a little bit more aware that they have a problem. Now they're looking for solutions, kind of like in the form of a question, not like straightforward solutions. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, a keyword would be like a middle of funnel type of term would be how do I streamline my workflow? They know the problem. They need to streamline their workflow, but they're asking it in a question sort of fashion. That's middle of funnel. Mm -hmm. Bottom of funnel, they're just like operation software. Like they're hyper aware, they're solution aware. They know the problem that they have and they have an idea of how they want to fix that. It's your job to position yourself as the company that fixes that problem. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense. Do yeah. you have a, a kind of spread that you recommend for how much content is in each phase? That's another great question. Not necessarily, but I do have a methodology of starting at the bottom of the funnel instead of starting at the top, mainly mm -hmm. because I've seen it so many times in-house content marketers are like, oh, we've got this amount of traffic increases and so on and so forth until the C-suite and the executive leadership is like, okay, how are your efforts making us money right now? Like, do you have a way to tie this back to revenue? And the answer that most content marketers have is no, because mm -hmm. you know we don't know how to tie it back to, to revenue. And it's because the further you are up the funnel, the tougher it is to attribute content to revenue because the buying cycle is, it's not linear, right? Yeah. Somebody may hit a blog post and then they may listen to a podcast and then they may see somebody else say something about you and then sign up for the, for the product. Bottom yeah. of funnel is much more straightforward because that person has already been educated by your competitors. They've read your competitors top of funnel articles and probably middle of funnel too. Now, when you show up in the bottom of funnel, you're like, boom, give me that, right? Just, yeah. just sweep them up. And I think that's why I love starting at the bottom of the funnel. Again, this ties back to my experience with affiliate websites and just going crazy with bottom of funnel content there and getting sales within like two weeks of starting the site. Wow. Conceptually, it's the same idea. It's just tactically different because we're dealing with, again, B2B SaaS, B2C SaaS. So yeah, it's just, uh, I love starting bottom of the funnel. That's my jam. Yeah. Quick wins, right? Or I mean, yes. quickish, <laughs> but that's no, at least you're win, putting it sure. best. Yeah. 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 I see. I can't, I'm, I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that you could have quick wins with content. So that's, that's exciting. That's another thing, Jane. Yeah. Like a lot of people can't really conceptualize because you're conditioned to think, and it's a good, like <sighs> SEO takes like six to nine months to execute. And we're probably not going to see an ROI for a couple years and this, that, and the third. If you switch your mindset and start thinking about bottom of funnel and how that whole process works, you can cut 12 months down into three, four months. Wow. Like not exaggerating. It's just that about having that mindset shift and just understanding the different awareness stages and where you need to start in those awareness stages if you actually want to turn an ROI with content. Yeah. That's so true. When you start a new relationship with a company and you're, you're brought on as an advisor, what's the first thing you look at? 
Yeah. So the first thing I look at, well, the first thing I like to do is partner with the team for us to do customer research, because that's Mm -hmm. a thing that companies don't get right. And then they wonder why their content isn't converting when they don't have marketing and sales alignment. So when I come into any engagement, the first thing I want to do is make sure that the company has that marketing and sales alignment. So the bottom of funnel content we do put out is actually resonating with the ICP, right? Mm -hmm. So First thing we do is customer research. Second thing, from that customer research, I'll formulate a content strategy starting from the bottom of the funnel and working my way up. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it's literally just advising them on how to create product-led bottom of funnel content. Because here's the thing, it's like bottom of funnel content is written completely different than top of funnel and middle of funnel. Middle funnel is a little bit, well, I think we can dig into this, but you can actually make middle of funnel articles appear to be more bottom of funnel. You can actually convert people Mm. from the middle of the funnel too. But yeah, just focusing on bottom of funnel, advising their team on how to create product-led content that actually matches features with customer pain points. Love that. Do you find that when you come on and do customer research, is it a little bit easier if you're conducting the research because you're seen as like a third party so people can, customers can be more honest with you? than if they were being interviewed directly by their their product or platform? That's a very interesting question. I think, yeah, I think me being a third party helps. I'm not biased or anything. So it's like, I'm looking at who your ICP is from the outside in, and then I'm helping you consolidate that information. And what I tell companies I work with all the time is that this isn't just for me. If you ever wanna bring in an in-house person in the future, uh, a freelance writer, This is excellent for them to be able to understand the product quickly, what it does, who you're talking to, and then be able to formulate a strategy out of that. So Mm -hmm. I think when I work with people, it's like my thing is helping them set themselves up for the future, not just, oh, you're only going to do good because I'm helping you. Like I want to help them set that foundation and then let them go off and, and, and actually execute it. Yeah. Amazing. That sounds good. And so how, when you come on to these teams, how do you kind of set the stage of that's your what you're going for? You're going to help them. You're not here to kind of replace them or like tell them what to do. It's you're working collaboratively because it's probably there's a little friction, I'm sure, when somebody's brought in from the outside. That's such a distinct and wonderful question. I know I've been saying this about every question you ask, but it really <laughs> because it's like, the strategy calls that I get on with with the head of marketing and the VP of marketing and head of content, it's like, okay, we do want to bring somebody on, but we don't want them to think that you're replacing them or you're mm-hmm. telling them what to do. And I let them know from the first call, even on LinkedIn in my sales post, like I let people know, like I'm not coming in to tell your team what to do where I'm partnering with your team and just I teaching them. It's just purely education. It's not like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to step on anybody's toes. Yeah. It, which brings me back to another point, like soft skills in marketing is probably just as important as hard skills Yeah, for different reasons, but they're both very, very important. I never want anybody to feel like I'm coming in and stepping on their toes. And a lot of people that reach out to me are actually peers and they look at LinkedIn content and they consume it and they understand my personality kind of before they even get on the phone with me. Yeah. But they want to confirm, they're just like, we just want to make sure because we have someone in-house that's doing SEO. And it's not that they're not good. It's just that, you know, they don't know how to tie the the, the revenue to the content. And I'm like, I get it, right? It's like, yeah, strategy is a very specific skill, especially when we're talking about bottom of funnel. That's like a whole nother skill within a skill. So 
it's not even that your SEO you know, person in-house is not capable. It's just that they need to be educated. And that's what I'm here yeah. for. Yeah. So you kind of come in as like a content coach. <laughs> I never called it that, but essentially, yeah, you could call it It has that. a ring to it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just, just the, the specifically like the bottom of funnel content coach. Yeah. 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 I like that. Yeah. That could be your new podcast name, Lachey, if you go it with could. one. <laughs> we have to see. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I know, speaking of coaching, you've basically been coaching your LinkedIn audience because, again, you put out so many great resources. I think you've had definitely some frameworks you've shared. I saw recently an exercise just to get you through the motions and getting used to new processes in mm -hmm. mapping content. What resources are kind of, do you see blowing up right now and people are most reacting to? Resources. Yeah, that you've created. That I've created. Okay, I'm like, yeah, resources yeah. in general? I'm like, <laughs> a big question. No, yeah, yeah. but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a gap. Um, yes, like people love visual frameworks. Like they love, mm -hmm. because one thing I used to beat myself up about a lot earlier in my career was that I didn't catch on to things quickly. And it's because in content marketing, I guess naturally, a lot of the information that's given to us is text-based. It's not yes. really visualized, right? So I learned later in my career, probably just like a year or two ago, that I'm a very visual learner. So I'm like, well, maybe if this helps me, it'll help other people out. So I've done like yes. the bottom of funnel content exercises, use case templates, funnel mapping templates. I'm talking about paid ad templates. Like any template you can think of as it relates to content strategy, I've probably done something around it or I'll do something around wow. it in the near future. And it's like just really leaning into my weaknesses. And I know that's different than what people usually say. They like lean into your strengths. But when you like lean into your weaknesses and understand what they are, you can create supplemental solutions to help other people with the same weakness, right? So, I mean, I know this is a whole nother conversation, but now we get into embracing and understanding those weaknesses and don't yeah. be embarrassed by them, like lean into it and, and create content that would help somebody else that's dealing with the same weakness that you're dealing with. I love that. I'm, I wrote that down as a, that's a really good mantra, right? Lean into your weaknesses. Yeah. It reminds me, I forget who coined this. It was probably Chris Walker or Dave Gerhardt, who knows, <laughs> one of the, one of those guys. But it was build out loud or something like that, where while you're learning or learn out loud, there's so many variations of it I've heard lately. But it's basically yeah. while you're learning, while you're building, you're sharing that on LinkedIn or wherever your audience is. And you're not, it helps you exactly do this, right? Lean into your weaknesses and yeah. you build this community because it's probably not just you that's feeling this way. And you can commiserate over that and learn together and share what's working for everybody. Yeah. And I think one of the best ways to learn is by doing. That's yeah. why I try to make, I'm starting to try to make my frameworks a little bit interactive because I want content marketers to learn by doing. I had the same problem all throughout my 20s. Like I would just consume a mass amount of information and then get paralyzed yeah. by the information I was consuming and not do anything. Yeah. I want to empower content marketers to learn by doing. So learn a little bit, then you do a little bit, then you learn a little bit, then you do a little bit. And yeah. that's what's been working really well for me. And I think that's why people gravitate to the content so much because it's just different. It's like, you don't have many people talking about bottom of funnel content in general, but now to break out a subsection of that, you don't have people building visual frameworks about how to put it together. Yeah. So I think that's a big differentiator for sure. I love that. It sounds like you have the makings of a workshop and or course 
coming up in the near future, right? These are like the baseline foundations for that. Jane, I don't know. It's I've been going with the flow. I've just been like, okay, what do people want? Do they like this thing? And I did one visual. My first ever visual was just to kind of explain what I do for size companies. And that one blew up, blew up for me was 42 likes and like 20 comments Yeah. versus having three likes and four likes per post. I'm like, okay, we're going with the visual thing. Yeah. And then from there, my audience was kind of blue from there. And I've, I'm so grateful to been, you know, have able to help so many content marketers conceptualize and understand advanced content marketing. My yeah. goal is to like not seem super smart, but to really simplify advanced content marketing. Like that's my goal. I love that. I want to get back to the the lean into your weaknesses. How did you embrace that and realize like have that light bulb moment that that's what you need to do and that's okay? And how did you kind of get the courage to do that? Because I, I feel like so often, I don't know if this is a female thing or not, but probably because imposter syndrome largely skews female, unfortunately. But I wonder if like, uh, there's just always, you never want to be the one to ask the dumb question, right? Although that's try, you know, people are trying to break through that narrative, but it, how do you kind of get through those, those thoughts and fears in your head to put yourself out there and be like, this is something I'm working through. This is something I'm not great at. So I'm doing this to solve that. Like, how did you do that? Yeah. So a lot of this is more mental than anything. Yeah. Like I had to get over myself. I had to imposter syndrome and I'm going to, and I'm so glad you brought this up, Jane, like imposter syndrome held me back for maybe like 10 years. And yeah. then we're like, Oh my God, like, how do you know so much stuff? Like, how are you? I'm like, I've got 13 years of knowledge hoarded up in my head right now that I'm just like yeah. releasing out every day. Yeah. And I think the reason, and again, with like dealing with like anxiety and things like that, it's like, I was terrified so terrified that I had to just do the LinkedIn thing. Like I was terrified about what to put up. I didn't know what people yeah. wanted to see. What if I didn't put a comma in the right place? Like, what if I didn't do this right or spell that the right? judgment. Uh-huh. Yes, I was terrified. So terrified that if I didn't do it, I probably was going to have a panic attack. So I just like started putting the content out. And one thing, now that you've brought this up to me, I'm thinking through it. Yeah. One thing that I did was teach myself by teaching others. That kind of like, puts a veil over, okay, I, I don't want to seem totally stupid. Like, okay, so maybe if I just teach myself these things by teaching others, it won't come off. So like, oh, I don't know a lot or, you know, I'm new to this, but it's just like, again, that imposter syndrome has yeah. a way of taking over your brain and it makes you think that you don't know as much as you do. Yes. And I realized this when people started reaching out to me and they're just like, oh my God, like, your dashboard helped me so much. And this framework helped me so much. And I'm just like, I thought this was stuff everybody knew. I I feel like I'm playing catch up right now, but it's like, yeah, everyone else is like, oh my God, like, where have you been? Like, I'm so blessed to come. Like, I've heard so many things over the past six months. It's been insane. Yay. But it's just the testament of like, do not ever let imposter syndrome hold you back. Like, and here's the thing. The tricky thing about imposter syndrome is like, once you get over it, that's when you really unlock your learning. It's like, I've learned so much in the past six months, just running my own thing. I'm talking about like data analytics, how to build an email list, a social content strategy, not just like blogging for SaaS companies, but like a social 
solopreneur content strategy. It's like yeah. I've done so much because I pushed the imposter syndrome out the way and I understood like I'm never going to know every single thing. And that's okay. As long yes. as they're following me, I'm teaching them something or maybe they are where I was two or three years ago. I'm going to continuously learning, uh, you know, continuously learn. So it's just like that imposter syndrome is just, it's always kind of going to be there, but you just really have to learn how to combat it and continue to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. Just do it. Right. <laughs> do it. Like, and again, like learn and then teach and then learn and then teach. But it, with me, it's a little bit different because it's like, I've known this stuff for so, so, so long. Yeah. And now I'm just spewing it out. Yeah. Which reminds me to let everybody know, like you have knowledge in your brain that people would pay for. I didn't believe that. And now everything is impossible until you do it. Right. Like, yeah, that's so true. I mean, there's always when you first get started putting yourself out there, like even starting this podcast, right. For me was like, like, who am I to start a podcast? But then I just did it and stopped thinking And just got it out there. And it's been so amazing to see it grow. So you just have to like, I'm still, I still have these fears. Like when I post anything on LinkedIn, I'm like, who am I to have an opinion on this? Like, I'm not the expert in X, Y, Z. And I always question that. But then there's other people that are posting and, and sharing theirs. And I'm like, this is genius. This is such a good perspective. Like I never think who is this person? I never think that about anyone else yeah. when I'm reading their stuff, but I I feel that about myself. So it's interesting. We're no, our own worst critics, right? Always. <laughs> yes. Always. Nobody, I promise you, nobody cares that much. Yeah. Even if you put the same content up twice, maybe if you change just a few elements of it, because I put some of the same visuals up twice, but I'll use a different company as the example. Yeah. You don't know which piece of content is going to resonate with who that's why you need to keep putting it out. Somebody yes. may have seen something six times, but it's on the seventh time that they're like, I get it. Oh, that makes so much sense. And it's yeah. like, that's why you have to keep publishing and you have to keep learning and just be gentle on yourself and understand that you're never going to know it all. As long yeah. as you know more than a subset of people, you'll be able to make some money. That's so true. Yeah. Good reminders for everybody. I'm going to replay this episode for myself in the mornings. <laughs> <laughs> Lachey, also, can we get into... We know this economy. I feel like I I say this on each episode lately, but it's interesting to get different perspectives on it. But with this economy, everybody, especially in the SaaS world, the B2B space, most industries are are struggling right now, right? Yeah. What do you see changing in the content world? Like what's working right now with the clients that you're working with? Specificity, if I had to boil it down to one word, because Mm. we're in an economic climate where budgets are getting cut, people are getting laid off, Companies are getting more and more hyper aware about what they need and what they don't need. Yeah. So that means you need to get more hyper aware about what they need and what they don't need. And then you need to properly position that in your content to tackle their most like three to five pressing pain points. Like the fluff is not going to work here, especially again in the social economic environment that we're in. You've really got to get down to the root of what people are struggling with and communicate that right away. I think if companies made that transition into doing that and turning their blog into a big piece of sales of, you know, sales enablement content, it's like they would see great results. But again, it's just about specificity. It's about cutting out the fluff, getting down to the pressing pain points, and then just positioning your product as being the solution to those pressing pains, the pains where even in an economic crisis that we're in, they would still say, we still need this thing. Like 
okay, maybe we'll cut budgets for this software and that, but we need this thing right here. That's the, yeah. that's the power of like specificity and strong content. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And where does SEO come into play in your content strategy? SEO is how the content gets seen. Storytelling is how it converts. So mm. what you need to do is find that balance between SEO and storytelling. A lot of the time I see companies have either too much of one or too much of the other. Yeah. So maybe they have a journalist on the team and that journalist comes from a creative background. They come up with amazing titles and the article just sucks you in and the case studies are amazing, but nobody finds it because it's not optimized. Mm. Then you've got the SEO specialists on the other hand that are just hundred percent purely SEO, don't care what is being said in the article as long as it ranks on Google yeah. and it doesn't convert once it's ranked. Like you have to find that middle ground between SEO and storytelling. That's what's going to unlock it for you. It's so interesting. I feel this makes me think of like the rise of creators right now, back to yeah. kind of LinkedIn. Like you see a lot of, what do they call it? Edutainment and yes. people like creating just fun, enticing content that gets your eyes, it gets your likes, it makes you laugh. Where do you see that falling in the world of like content strategy? I guess when you're creating for social, like how does that come into play? Yeah, just one thing I'm noticing is that like companies are starting to engage with influencers. Yeah, I think this is going to be huge. And again, dating back to my background with e-commerce, like influencer marketing took e-com by storm. Yes. B2B is late to the party. It's like... (laughs) Yeah, they you can get some amazing results with influencer marketing. So I think just like the whole breaking out of your own, the whole solopreneurship, it's giving creators such an outlet to be able to make money in multiple different ways. Um, I never thought I would be a B2B influencer. Not that I've yeah. struck a deal or anything yet. Not quite. We're, we're getting there. But <laughs> the fact that I could, be, right, like, I don't know. It's just the fact that I could become one makes yeah. me excited. It, it's not just for like, e-com like you can be an influence for you know for b2b and it's just like i don't know it's just giving us creators so many different ways to monetize yeah and not have to stay stuck at a job we don't like or doing something we don't like or limiting us to if we want to move somewhere different if we want to travel it's just so many different things and i love how the creator economy is going and, yeah. and how it's growing i love it I love your excite, like your excitement for what you do and for this environment and the possibilities is so contagious. Like it's getting <laughs> me excited about all the just, I mean, there's so many doom and gloom right out there. So many, yeah. like so much doom scrolling on LinkedIn, yes. but you're right. This is a good time. Like maybe people who are being impacted by layoffs right now, take this as a sign to embrace all of the opportunities that are out there and yeah. channel your inner liche and get Get like think about what your your strengths are and your weaknesses. Yes, and... lean into the weaknesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think just even with the 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 you know the economic climate right now, I feel like fractional executives are going to be blowing up right now, mainly because it's like you can bring in somebody with the same amount of experience that you would bring them in house, except you don't have to pay them as much. You don't yeah. have to put them on a formal payroll. You don't have to worry about benefits. This is our time. Yeah. I hate to say it. I know, you know, tons of people are getting laid off, but this is who I'm talking to, right? Like this is our time. If you've got some skills, you've been in uh, corporate or anything like that, like this is the time to start building that personal brand and start showing off 
what you know, because I promise somebody's going to be like, oh my God, I did not know that. You might be a HubSpot expert. I don't know anything about HubSpot. So yeah. when I see something about it and kind of like how it ties into conversions and things like that, I'm like, wow, oh my gosh, like that's amazing. Like start doing the brand thing now, like start now. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Do you think that as a content creator, or if you want to get more into like influencer, I know there's a lot of hubbub about like if you're a, a creator or an influencer, some people love one term and hate the other. If you want to lean into that, do you recommend going really niche and finding like one specific thing to focus on? For instance, content marketing or partner marketing or HubSpot, like your example, like one thing to focus on and go all in? Or can you be a generalist influencer? That's a great question. I feel like you probably want to start general and then start to look for the signs ah. of life of like, okay, people like when I talk about this thing and they like when I talk about that thing. So let me talk about this a little bit more. Yeah. So when I say general, like talk about a group of things you know about. Yeah. But then when you start seeing like the little signs of life again, like I put out a visual about content strategy. I'm like, okay, people want to know about strategy. I could talk about this all day long. It's my favorite part of the process. Yeah. So I'm just like, find the things that people want to hear from you and then lean into that. Again, now we're talking about like, I know I said leaning into weaknesses earlier, but now like, as it relates to what to talk about, lean into your strengths, like lean mm -hmm. into the things that you have an idea about that you could literally just sit down and talk with somebody about randomly for an hour and not yeah. have to research or anything. Start there and yeah. then start feeling around. OK, they like this thing. This post got more likes than this one. Let me let me do something with this one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like that's what's really been working for me. But start a little bit more general. Maybe you can start within a niche, but. So for example, maybe it's like SEO, but maybe you talk about like technical SEO and mm -hmm. then you start putting out posts and you're feeling around a little bit and you find out that people like when you talk about conversion rate optimization or something like that, like you'll find what people kind of want to hear from you. It's like, you got to find yeah. that between what you like to talk about and what people want to hear from you about. That balance. Yeah. It, the balance. Mm -hmm. it, it, it takes a little bit, but if, if you're consistent, you're going to start to see that, okay, this post got more likes than this one. Let me lean here a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's all about testing. It's all about trial and error. Don't be afraid to fall on your face. It's okay. People don't care. Yeah. It's forgotten. <laughs> yes. And that's the thing, Jane, like I, I had to understand like the quicker I fall on my face, the quicker I'm going to get it right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big unlock for me too. Yeah. So just, true. just filling those knowledge gaps. It's like, as you start to educate yourself more, you're going to start to see your gaps in knowledge that you need to fill. And that's when you start hiring consultants and advisors and coaches to fill those gaps for you. Mm, I love that. And you, you were talking about like, see what's working and what's resonating right with your audience. I know one hot topic right now, it comes up in every episode and it's all over our LinkedIn feed is AI. Yeah. How do you see that coming into play? Like AI and content, I mean, it's almost synonymous this year. How do you bring that into your strategy and both for strategy for your clients and for your own personal brand exposure? Yeah, that's a great question. So I love AI for thought ideation. I love mm -hmm. it for that. One flaw, and I hate to dive right into the flaws. I know everybody else is like, oh, AI is so amazing and it can do <laughs> this and that. But if I had to like be real here, like the yeah. one flaw with AI is that it cannot write bottom of funnel content. That's oh. the one thing. Now, 
if someone comes out with a software, I may be giving somebody a software idea here. There we if go. someone comes out with a software that can create specific bottom of funnel content by being able to match like features of the product with customer pain points, it's going to be a very rich individual. Yeah. Even Jasper doesn't, any other AI product that you can think of does not do this. So it's like, I can't use it in that fashion as it relates to like me working with consulting clients, so on and so forth. I don't use it in that fashion, but when it comes to like coming up with a hook, you know, a catchy title, oh, it's amazing for that type of thing. You can get 20 title ideas in literally 10 seconds. Yeah. And then you take it and you mix it up and kind of throw a keyword in it and so on and so forth. But as it relates to like having the AI drive, drive the strategy for the company, Again, if it's a company that wants to focus more on brand awareness, high level, top of funnel type, that may be excellent for them. But the companies that work with me want to get an ROI from their content marketing as soon as possible. I don't really use it too much in that strategy piece of it. But as far as like coming up with a title, maybe like a meta description and yeah, it's excellent for that. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other trends that you see coming about or things that you think will change in the next few years with content marketing, with all of these new things coming to light, especially AI? Yeah. And it's kind of, well, it's kind of unfortunate, but a lot of writers, if if they don't like start increasing their skill, AI is going to take over their job. And the reason I say that, so let me give you like, let me give people a direct example of what I mean here. It's like, so if you're still writing articles and I'm not calling anybody out, if the shoe yeah. fits, like, listen to me, yeah. if you're still writing articles and you're pulling results from the top 10 in Google and you're compiling that, calling that an article, tell me what's stopping AI from taking over your job. AI can do the same thing that you can do and can probably write a better piece in literally, I don't even know, I don't want to sound stupid here with like, but maybe like a fourth of the time. Like, I don't yeah. even know. Like, I just want to say, I don't want to sound stupid, but it's like yeah. much quicker than you can, right? Like literally within a couple minutes, maybe it yeah. goes edits, maybe nothing too heavy. Again, it's it's high level top of funnel stuff. Yeah. But what's stopping AI from taking your job versus if you position yourself as a content writer that is able to make an ROI from content, yeah. If you position yourself as the person that's guiding the strategy, because the AI can do sort of like the work, but even if a company is using AI, they still need a person behind that AI to make the AI effective for them. Yeah. AI is not to a point where we just press a button and it boom, creates yeah. this whole thing for us. Somebody needs a professional running that AI. So yeah. I would say like really start to, if you are one of those writers that, you know, is still kind of like gathering information from the top 10 search results. Like just start to understand a little bit deeper about the the, the concept of content strategy and mm-hmm. understand like getting your results from the top 10 of Google is not you creating your own article. It's you regurgitating everything else that everybody else is saying. There's nothing different about your content. Mm-hmm. Don't just focus all on ranking. Like Focus on conversions too. Again, that mix between SEO and storytelling. Yeah, It's like you can have articles that rank at the top of Google, but if they're not talking to customer pain points, they will not convert. I've seen it dozens and dozens and dozens of times. It's like most of the time, people, companies that come to me, it's like they don't have any bottom of funnel content at all. They're just like, yeah, yeah we've been producing, but it's not like driving in revenue. We don't understand where that gap is. And then I help them fill that gap 
But even with companies that do have bottom of funnel content, that still doesn't convert because it's not talking to the to the customer. It's not talking to their pain points. So yeah. remember, companies still need somebody to run these AI tools for them. Yeah. So don't think you're out of a job completely. Yeah, exactly. The prompts and yes. like fine tuning, making sure it speaks to the audience. But it yeah. sounds like from what you're saying, Bofu content is the way for everyone, right? For So for all content marketers listening, Bofu content for the win for results for you at your job yes. and to differentiate you from AI, like to do what AI cannot do beyond just QA and fine tuning, right? That, yes. that really quality content. Yes. Interesting. Are there specific metrics that you track with your clients to really show that ROI and like get content marketing synonymous with a revenue driver? Yes. So I like to use Looker Studio specifically mm -hmm. because I like how, you know, the customizations that you can build out. But what I do is for each one of my clients, like we'll go into Google Analytics and I will help them set up tracking where it's like we can track leads down to the article. And that's a big differentiator because, again, a lot of content marketers aren't able to figure out how to do that. They like to use that the attribution. Term. Yes, mm -hmm. attribution. And the thing is, they're like, oh, content marketing is a black box. It's like maybe to an extent, but again, like when you're dealing with bottom of funnel, it's just like a whole different ball game. It's like you can track leads down to the article. So that's one of the first things I usually do in an engagement, like making sure they have their events set up right, their tracking set up correctly. And then, you know, once the conversions start coming through, I'm able to show them like, hey, look, the article that we wrote together is actually driving, you know, five demos this month. So it's like being able to get attribution is so important because it lets a company know like, oh, wow, like the money we're investing is really giving us a return. Even if that return isn't all up front, SEO is a compounding game, right? So it's like you may get five demos this month, but next month you may have three more articles ranking and then now you're getting 20 demos. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like compounding interest with SEO, especially with bottom of funnel is a game changer for companies. Now- I know we haven't dug into this kind of, but middle of funnel can be conversion drivers as well. Another thing I've also seen is like tying case studies into content is huge yeah. for conversions. Yeah. Ooh. How do you tie it into the content? Again, that mix between SEO and storytelling. So like, yeah. for example, if you have like a sales enablement software, just coming up on the fly with a title, maybe the title would be like best sales enablement software, how we took this company from X to Y in this amount of time, right? Tying in a case study into the keyword and then yeah. positioning the article to like talk about the case study and still touch on the customer pain points. But here's the cool thing. The client that you're talking about in the article had the same pain points as the person that's reading right now. You're yeah. pulling back the curtain and like, okay, this is how I work with my clients and I could do the same thing for you. And it's why I hate when companies gate their case studies. I'm like, yeah, it makes no sense. Why yeah. are you making me give you information for, for you to tell me how you can to make sell me <laughs> like what? Like, Agreed. and that's why I tell companies all the time, like ungate the case studies. Like I, I understand gating some content, obviously, like I have a dashboard that's gated, but when it comes to case studies, you should be wanting to share that with the world. Like don't gate case studies. If I, it, single biggest takeaway from this podcast, stop <laughs> gating case studies. Seriously. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I 100% agree. That's one of the first things I did when I came to my current position. <laughs> yes. So funny. 
Well, I know we talked about this a little bit before we turned the mics on, but I want to go back into behind the scenes, Lachey. Sure. What is, can you talk me through one of your biggest career hurdles that you've overcome? Yeah, just, I feel like one of them was getting into SAS. Again, I used to hate SAS and I was like, yeah. but there's a, and I'm going to be like really real with everybody right now. I'm like, there's so much money here. Like if I just was able to get my little slice of this pie, yeah. I would be good. So I started thinking about that. I'm like, okay, I know strategy already. So let me just dive into SAS. And it was like, I wanted to work for this agency really, really bad. I won't say the name, but yeah. I wanted to work with them really bad. And was like, while I did have the founder mentor me, oh my God, he was amazing. I didn't make the cut to work for the agency. And it's like, that night, like I literally knelt down by my bedside and cried because I was so upset that I did not yeah. get to work with this agency. And it was like, that was a tough blow for me. And then to give you guys even more tea on top of that, one of the agencies I was working for before this, I found out the boss was like bad talking me to other other people that were on our team. It was, it was a small team, it was like six people. But the boss was like, yeah, he was telling one of the other people, I don't think Lachey knows SEO that well. And you, know, you probably know it, you know, if not, you know, just as much, if not more than she does. And I'm like, let me tell you a little quick backstory behind that. One of the clients that I was working with that I was assigned to was trying to let the CEO know, like, we're not going to get results from him targeting this top of funnel content that you're targeting. We yeah. need to be doing bottom of funnel stuff to bring him in leads because as the months went on, the client started to want to know, okay, we're, we're creating content. I see traffic increases in the reporting, but where's like, can we tie this to inbound leads? Can we tie this to revenue? And the founder was like, not necessarily. And I'm just thinking like, yes, you can. And the client and I started getting a little bit closer and yeah. what happened was the client got me on a call and he was like, the only reason I'm still even dealing with this person, with this agency is because you're here. That's it. Wow. Come to find out the founder had pretty much tanked his money in, I can't think of the word right now, uh, crypto. That's the word. Oh no. <laughs> he had tank company funds in crypto. So like our team was getting paid <sighs> off and things like that. But after I found out he was kind of like talking about me in that way, I was like, I'm not sure if we're allowed to swear on him, but I was like, fuck Yeah, you. go for it. Like, yeah. No, I'm not. I'm better than that. I'm better yeah. than that. I, I down myself a lot, but it's like, I know I'm better than that. And from that point on, something switched in my brain. And I was just like, watch this. From there, I don't know. It was just like, I had to, uh, again, I had to like get over myself. And then, you know, right after that whole ordeal, yeah. it was when like, I didn't get the work for the agency I wanted. And I was like, oh my God. And then, yeah. you know, I went back to the nine to five, but, and this is another lesson for anybody. Don't think that going back to a nine to five is you regressing. Progression looks different on everybody. If it yes. was not for me going back to a nine to five where I get to practice my SEO skills on a daily basis, I would not be here right now. So if you're in a position where you feel like, you know, oh my God, you know, just like me, like I was a freelancer at first and then having to wind up, go back to the nine to five to get that stability. Don't be ashamed about that. Don't be embarrassed about that. Again, progression looks different on everybody. And again, just to get a little bit deeper, all throughout my 20s, I would watch people I went to school with doing cool things and they're going on yeah. vacations and they're working their nine to fives. And I'm just like, why am I even doing this entrepreneurial shit? Like I'm falling yeah. behind everybody else versus this year, I've catapulted above everybody. You know what I mean? Because I decided, to see <laughs> it. Because I decided just to stick with it a little bit longer. Yeah. 
Yeah. So just, I know I got on a little bit of a tangent there, but that's a touchy subject for me, especially with career hurdles. Cause I know people are probably going through it right now. And, you know, just to be able to talk to those people is very, very important to me. So yes, like I've I've had some crazy hurdles and all of this happened within the like past two to three years. This isn't five, six years ago. This is in the past two, three years, all this has happened. Yeah. So even in those really bad moments, it's like, take some time back, get your mental together. Cause getting my mental together, my mental health was like the unlock everything. Yes. So take that time for yourself and understand. And it's okay. If you have to go back to a nine to five, just have some parameters in place that you want. Like if you want it to be remote, if you want it to be autonomous, like have those things in your mind as you're searching, but don't ever be afraid to, to take that, that lateral step. So you can step up in the future. Yeah. So true. It can just be part of your story. It's not a setback. It's just the next step in your story. Yes. Yes. I love that. And I love that you were able to take kind of criticism or someone trying to put you down. Right. And you respond in like, a am going to show you kind of way. I love when people can do that for me personally, when, when I get negativity, it hits me down and I can't, I don't get that fight back. I'm like, I just get down. So I need to channel that and turn it around into like, okay, watch me. Yeah. And you know what, Jane, like I got tired of quite frankly, like I got sorry of feeling sorry for myself. Like I got tired of being depressed. I'm like, okay, like I'm not dealing with this depression shit anymore. Like I'm done Mm -hmm. with it. And then at that moment I was like, the skin literally became like Teflon. It was like, everything was rolling off. And it was like, before I hit this season that I'm in right now of like growth, I was in a deep season of refinement. Yeah. Just constantly having my skills critiqued and looked upon and being denied opportunities. And what's so funny is that people that denied me these opportunities, no shade to them, right? But people that denied me these opportunities are following me on LinkedIn now. Like they're commenting on stuff. They're liking stuff. They see me on some of the biggest podcasts in the space, including this one. So it's just like- just that feeling. And I know I might have some people that's like, oh, well, you shouldn't do it for other people. I'm doing it for me. For you. Yeah. But this is just, oh, this is just like icing Cherry on top. top. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh. Watching those people that denied you opportunities, like start to come around and be like, oh, like, and then even one of the jobs that I applied for a year and a half ago came back to yeah. me last week and was like, we have this position open and we would love. And I'm like, I would love to, but I can't do it. Right. Yeah. Like my time too is busy. worth so much. Too busy. I'm too busy. So just if you're in that season of refinement right now and you're just like, everybody's telling me no, and my work isn't good. And this and that keep going. Like, yeah, you're gonna, this is building you up for something so much bigger than you could have ever imagined. Like keep going. Yeah. I love that. I love your story. It's so motivating. And thank you for sharing with us just your whole journey from back in the day and the e-com and starting those um, affiliate sites. And then just more recently, like you found your groove and we're still beaten down, but now you've become, you rose above that and you like channeled it into just getting better and better and better. And now you're just flying. So it's so Great to see that that hard work and persistence, right? Just pays off. Yeah. And I know it's very cliche, like, oh, hard work pays off. But just again, like getting your mental health together is one of the unlocks. Like deal with that first. So like if you need a break, take that break. That was one of the things I didn't do in my 20s. Like I would just 
chain myself in front of the computer and, you know, thinking that's the way to force myself to come up with ideas. That's not the way to do it. Getting outside in nature, getting fresh air, going to the gym, like that's what really gets the brain running to come up with the million dollar ideas, the hundred thousand dollar ideas. So don't make the same mistake I make being caught up in hustle culture. Yeah. It's very toxic culture. And I know we, this is a whole nother tangent. I'm so sorry. I Uh, love it. but, But when I hear about mental health, like I feel compelled to talk about it. Yeah. A second company that I want to build is specifically around the mental health of entrepreneurs because we have people force feeding us strategy every day. It's like, oh, this marketing thing, that marketing thing, when the real unlock is in your brain, in your mental health, that's the real unlock. So yeah, something for the future, just want to be able to start a company for mental health for entrepreneurs specifically and the things that we go through. Yeah. So true. I feel like when we were growing up, we were just always told if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to succeed in your career, you need to work days and nights. I mean, Shark Tank still tells us this, right? It's like, you need to hustle. You can't sleep. You you have to quit your job and you have to invest all of your time and blood, sweat, tears. Like that's what we're fed. I feel like that narrative is finally starting to evolve, right? And to just definitely a focus on mental health and balance, whatever that balance is to you. If you love the hustle culture and that is where you thrive, do it, do you, Yes. but it's not for everybody. And there's so many different ways to succeed. Yes. And especially I'm talking to the people that have children that have spouses, like they don't care about the things that your money could bring them. They care about you. Right. Yeah. So just always keep that in mind. Like as you're building the business, that's one thing I didn't keep in mind when I was younger. Again, I was totally hustle culture. Like I got to make this thing work by any means, but the real unlock is when you let it go a little bit, let it come to you. Like let those ideas come to you and just follow them. Don't be so like, have a plan, but understand that that plan is fluid, right? Like it'll change a little bit, but just go with the flow and you will definitely find your way. But again, yes, like getting yourself together mentally is that unlock that's going to propel you in business. So true. And speaking of, I want to make sure we note this because it's extra impressive and it makes your journey extra impressive to me is that you are a mother of four. That's impressive in and of itself. (laughs) As a mother of one, it's a lot. So four, I cannot imagine bowing to you. How do you make everything work? I mean, your personal life, your mom life, your, I mean, I don't want to call it hustle life because hustle now is so negative, but your, your just thriving career. How do you make it all work together? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is the partnership that I have, like, my husband is so critical to being able to allow me the time to be able to do podcasts and do my social strategies and do strategy calls and consulting. And, and it's really just, and I'm talking to my married folks out there, it's like a partnership, having someone that understands entrepreneurship and the sacrifice that comes with that is so important. And it makes the journey so much easier. And in some cases, like in my case, you may even want to have a partner that wants to join you on your entrepreneur journey, um, which just makes it that much sweeter. And I like to, you know, involve the kids in it by teaching them things and teaching them the, the thought process behind having a personal brand. Like my daughter's excellent at playing the piano. Like she knows how to play by ear. So if that's something she wants to pursue, like I want to teach her how to build a personal brand around that and then maybe do products in the future. I just want to plant that seed in them because with me, I had no seeds planted in me. You know what I mean? Like my family doesn't, 
it's weird. It's like, although they're somewhat entrepreneurial, they like never done anything on this scale. So it's like being that first generation in my family that really feeds their children entrepreneurship and not feed it, like force it to them. Like if they want to get a job, mommy will a hundred percent support them in that. But just, just, they see how I work and they see the freedom and flexibility that I have and they want the same. Right. So it's like just incorporating them into what you're doing. Not, I don't totally try to like separate the two. It's really just a beautiful mixture of them both together. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I do it right now. It's, it's, it's not always that cut and dry, right? It's a little bit. There are hard times. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, There are hard times, but you know, when you involve them in the process and let them know what you're doing and just tie it into, for example, like my kids love Fortnite. Like we get on Fortnite on weekends and kick ass. But, (laughs) you know, maybe they want to be streamers in the future. It's like the world is totally different than it was 20, 30 years ago with baby boomers and even other generations. It's just like, again, the creator economy even rolls down to my children, right? It's just like- getting them involved on things. So I found like that's a big thing as well, just getting them involved in the process and just supporting them in whichever way they want to go, but teaching them some skills along the way for certain. Yeah. It's so funny because it's so true now, like you're showing them their options. This is inspiring for me as a mom too. I'm thinking of how to incorporate this into my (laughs) three-year-old, maybe when he's a little older, but it's so true because you grow up and it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? A doctor, a lawyer? Like those are the things that we were fed, like those basic careers but there's so many other options out there and ways to live your life. I'm, I love that you're sharing that with them. Yes. And again, that process of like leaning into what you like and what you're good at. We have people making millions of dollars off of streaming video games. We're yes, living it's like yes. creator economy. You know what I mean? So it's just like, I always empower them to do the thing that they want to do, but mommy just wants to show you some things along the way, like how to set up an LLC and so on and so forth. Things that I wasn't taught, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's very important for all my parent entrepreneurs out there. Like the yeah. kid may not be ready to be totally involved in the process yet, but just, you know, give them a little bit here and there. And then as they start getting older into teenage years, probably going to start to get more interested in how they can start to capitalize off the creator economy because I'm on TikTok a lot and I see so many millennials like I'm having such a hard time and cost of living this and this and this and that like real world issues. So setting your children up to be able to be self-sustained is so important and a personal brand does that. Yes, I love that. Well, we just touched a ton about advice for fellow marketers, for parents, for their kids, right? And options. What is, to wrap up our convo today, which I could talk to you for hours, (laughs) but what is one thing you would tell your younger self 10, 15 years ago, just getting into marketing-ish activities? What would you tell yourself? Yeah, so I have quite a few things I would tell myself, but if I had to like really boil it down to something that would be very, I don't want to say like influential, is it the word, just very impactful, that's the word impactful on me is that you have to slow down to speed up Mm. all throughout my twenties. I was trying to shortcut the process, learning a shit ton in the process. Right. But I was trying to shortcut the process. I'm like, okay, so maybe if I do this thing to make money, maybe that'll be quicker. And maybe if I do that thing to get money for this thing, I can do this. Stop trying to shortcut the process, like go through the motions. Business is very up and down. It has ebbs and flows, go through it, experience it. I like to describe it as a rainy day. It's like 
yes, it's raining outside, but we know that rain is going to pass eventually and the sun is going to come back out. So just go through those emotions, slow down to speed up. You're going to get to where you want to get to. It's totally okay. Like take this time to learn and execute again, learn and do and learn and do. And you're going to build up so much knowledge that people are going to want to pay you thousands of dollars for your knowledge. Just keep going. It's okay. That's what I would tell myself. I love that. Thank you, Lachey. We learned and talked through so much more than I expected on this episode. So I really appreciate it. (laughs) But I I appreciate you being so vulnerable and sharing your stories and and just I got goosebumps. I got to say at least like five times through the call, which is always a good sign of a raw conversation. So I appreciate you. Thank you for joining. (laughs) Thank you so much, Shane, for having me. Yeah. And thanks everybody for listening. If you love the episode, please rate, review, share with a friend, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, everybody. 